Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast by and for trial lawyers looking for better ways to serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric V. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. This is Eric Veith. I'm John Simon. This is part two of our series on focus groups. We're going to talk about when and how to do a focus group, and we're also going to talk about online focus groups. So Eric, let me ask you this. We've talked a little bit about things to do and not to do and benefits and all of this, but when do you think is the best time to do focus groups? There's a variety of times to do it. You can do it actually before even taking the case from the client. You're considering whether to take the case. I don't take most of the cases that come to my office. And the reason I do that is because you find out a lot of them are not what they seem to be. Some of your cases involve big costs. So before you jump in, you might want to know what other people might think about that case. Have you done that? I don't do it on individual cases a lot, hardly at all. But I have done it when we've been asked to get involved in a group of multiple cases. But I I think the best time to do a focus group is after most of the discovery, either most or all of it has been completed, because then you know what the issues are, you know what the evidence is. And between the time discovery is completed and and before trial, maybe a month or so before trial, and you want to leave yourself enough time to do a couple follow-up focus groups, but because of the cost and the time involved, you really want to do it when you have all of the information. You know, you don't want to do it and then all of a sudden you go out and take two or three depositions and the information that you relied on is no longer relevant. So I think that's the time to do it is in the window after discovery is completed and before you start your trial. All right. So let's optimistically look forward to that day when we can gather together again, because we're, we're going to be talking about in-person focus groups and we're all locked down still right now or mostly locked down, but we're going to have a day again. And so assuming that we're talking about in, in-person, what kind of uh, focus group facility is best for doing this? I don't think it needs to be that elaborate or fancy. Let's talk about what you need to do. Okay. And that will sort of define what you need in terms of facilities. What we try to do is is have 18 to 24 participants total, and the presentation is made to all of them in one group. Those are videotaped. And then what we do is we, we break out into three or four groups, smaller groups, for the deliberations. And keep in mind, you need to have enough space to break out. So they've got separate areas to break out and deliberate. But also you need to have the ability to videotape and monitor each of those areas. You also need to have an area for the participants for food, refreshments, break time. So you need to have all of those things. You may not have enough. Most people, I don't think, have enough that space to do that at their office. You can get hotel space pretty cheap if you have the video equipment and so forth. Or you can do it in your office and, and do it six at a time or eight at a time. And sometimes, depending on how you do the focus group, it may not be a, a presentation but it may be just a sit down and talking to a group around a conference room table about some of the issues in the case and what they think about it. And for those not familiar with your type of case, they, they tend to be tort cases involving catastrophic injuries and deaths. These are serious cases. How do you divide up that time? Well, you know, let me talk about a, a typical format for our in-person focus groups. And th- this can change, but th- this is one that we use most of the time. We'll call everybody in have them fill out paperwork, confidentiality, a questionnaire, and and maybe that takes 15 or 20 minutes and get a cup of coffee or something to drink. And then we'll do a formal introduction. 
and let them know that this is a real case. Let them appreciate the seriousness of it. And I always tell them, and it's true, that what they decide will have an impact on real people's lives and, and real you know, parties, the real parties to the case. And then we're giving them an introduction, nothing about the facts of the case, but just the process, the procedure, what's going to happen, that's all explained. Then at that point, we will do a neutral statement, a statement of neutral facts that both parties agree to, and that will be presented. We might have a PowerPoint, some photos, some diagrams with that, but just to show them, and that, that might be 20 minutes. And then typically what we'll do is immediately after that, will present the plaintiff statement of the case, and that might be 20, 30 minutes. And then they'll be asked to fill out individual questionnaires. After those questionnaires are collected, then we'll present a defense statement of their case, and then they'll fill out the questionnaires again. And then after that, after when that's done, we'll give them a little break, give them something to eat, break up, and it allows us to look at the questionnaires and see how we want to divide the groups, as we were talking about before, to have... Uh, you know, balance in all of the groups. And it helps with the engagement, the discussion, the deliberations. And then after that, we let them deliberate. In Missouri, we need nine of 12. Federal court, obviously, you need unanimous. And I always tell them unanimous, always, because I want them, you know, the best thing that can happen is they're locked and they don't reach a, a verdict because you get way more. You, you, want them, you want to hear what they have to say. You want the discussion. You want the engagement, the interaction, the group dynamics. A lot of times they'll discuss things you never thought of, but the flip side is a lot of times they don't discuss the things that you think are most important to you in the case, the things you've been worried about, and maybe they glossed them over. Maybe they didn't you know, need to discuss them and based on how they reached the deliberations. So that allows you to go in, sit down, and spend the last 45 minutes to an hour just asking them flat out, what do you think about this? And why do you say that? And who agrees? Who doesn't? And why? And then all of that, we get started about 8.30. We're usually done and, and have them out of the office by 12.30 or 1 o'clock. I assume that some people are quiet. Other people are more willing to take over the conversation. Do you find that you're trying to pick on the quiet people to make sure that everyone contributes? Eric, that's a great question. What we do is we, we tell them to pick a four-person, or most of the time I think we just appoint a four-person. And what we tell them is the only job you have the most important job is to make sure everybody gets to say what they're thinking. And, and that's really what we emphasize. We, we, we tell them that the four person is there and their job is to make sure everybody gets equal time telling what's on their mind. So these people don't magically appear at your office. You have to go recruit them somehow. Can you tell us a bit about that process? We used to do it ourselves at Craigslist, online things, but it just, it just got to the point where there, there are services out there that will provide you a list of two or 300 people if you give them the demographics. You know, it costs a little bit, but it's gotten a better, diverse group. And so it's been better time-wise and, and money-wise to do it through a service in terms of getting a list. And what we do is they don't pick the 24 or the 18 people that we bring in for the focus group. We'll ask for a list of 60, for instance, that meet certain criteria. And then what we'll do is we'll have some basic background information on those 60 and we'll go through and pick out 20 or 24, 18 or however many we want out of that group. And, and that's, that's really worked best for us. Do you ever find that somebody shows up and they're just not getting with the program? They're not cooperating well or playing nicely with the other jurors uh, for, for any reason that you're thinking this person 
isn't really understanding the process here where you have to intervene? For whatever reason, we don't see it that much. And by that, I mean, most overwhelmingly, the people who who willing to take the time to come and listen, I think they're conscientious. They do a good job. They take the job seriously. And part of that is, number one, what you pay them. And you could pay them $50 to sit there all morning and your demographics are going to be skewed because your certain group of people just aren't going to show up. Okay. And so what we've had to do is we, you know, we might pay $200 a person, $150, $200 a person to have them come in. And that way you get a broader economic group than you would if you're limiting it to, you know, 50 bucks. If you pay $200 for somebody to spend a Saturday morning, I mean, you're going to get a lot more people to draw from. But I think also it's, it's funny, there's a dynamic. Every once in a while, you'll get somebody who you, you're just watching them and looking at them. And you think they're here for the 200 bucks and the, and the bagels and coffee. And they just can't wait to get the hell out of here and, and go home. And that might be the case during the presentation. And, but once they get in that room with the others for deliberations, that all goes away. Because everybody is forced to talk and they have to defend their position. And so I've never seen anybody in the you know small group deliberations not play an active part in, in what was going on. And the other thing, too, that's important, you don't want to do it with 12 people. You just don't. The smaller the group for the group deliberations, the better. We never make it more than six, hardly ever. Six, I think, is sort of pushing it because you want a group that's small enough that everybody gets to contribute. Everybody feels comfortable talking. Our sweet spot is, is around six. So if we have 24, we'll break them into four groups. We have 18, we'll, you know, we'll break them into three groups. A lot of firms break into firms that tend to represent plaintiffs and others tend to represent defendants. If someone comes up to your firm, you do it in-house. So they're going to see the name of your firm. A quick search on Google will tell them you tend to represent plaintiffs. A lot of people might know that. What, is there anything you can do about that? We have one floor in the building, in the high-rise building we're in, but the door, the entry to that particular space doesn't have the firm's name on it. We make sure that the area we're using doesn't have anything, firm's cups or coasters or things like that. But they could still, they could look at the directory in the building and figure out what floor they're going to and things like that. But if somebody figures it out, we just don't tell them. You know, they, they might guess it or think it. But the most important thing in focus groups is... Number one, you don't want to try to win the case. You really are there to figure out what your weak spots are and what you can do to shore those up or or address them. And I think the problem with the group or somebody in the group knowing who you represent, it just, I think it just affects what they tell you. They're more likely going to tell you what they think you want to hear. So if the members of the focus group know which side you represent, that you represent the plaintiff or the defendant in the case, I think it's going to affect their deliberations. And, and the, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to skew the results of the focus group in, in your favor, which is the last thing you want. All right, let's, let's move on to online focus groups. What are online focus groups? We talked a little bit about them already, but the in-person focus groups are exactly what, what we said, and that is you bring them in, have them fill out the questionnaire, separate them, watch them deliberate. They interact together. There's some great benefits to that. There's some disadvantages. One of the disadvantages is you have 18 people. The sample size is too small with 18 people to tell you anything from a demographic standpoint. An online focus group addresses that issue. 
in an online focus group for, I don't know, that you could probably do it for $5,000 and reach 50 people or 100 people. For five ten thousand dollars you can focus your case online to a hundred people, two hundred people. Online stuff, we do not do those on our own. There are a handful of very good companies that do that. One of them is is John Campbell's group, Empirical Jury, and and John and his group do a fantastic job. What they add, I think, that most others don't is the the statistical analysis. So what you do is you call them and, and let them know you want to do a focus group, how many people what the demographics, you know, the nice thing about online, if you have a case going to trial in a, in a county in Iowa or, you know, a county in mid-Missouri, you can pick the people for that focus group from that county, you know, from a zip code. What it does is you have a presentation already prepared. It can be, you know, in writing, video, photos, or a combination, all of the above. And you get it down to maybe 20 minutes, 20, 35 minutes. And it's presented to the group online. They're not all listening to it at once, obviously. They're paid to open it up, look at it, review it, answer the questions. And, you know, John can tell you more about this than me, but there are certain safeguards that they have implanted in the program to make sure people aren't are actually looking at it or reading it. They have to answer certain questions. And if they're not actually paying attention, they'll discard it and throw them out. But the big advantage, the big advantage is you can focus two things, I would say. You can focus to a group that's large enough so that it's statistically significant. So in other words, you can see that people under 25 are more likely to go with the plaintiff. You can actually get statistically significant demographics in terms of age, race, sex, occupation, things like that. And what we were talking about earlier, you can actually correlate your rate of success based on a per- how they answer a particular question, which in my opinion is just dynamite. I mean, think of that. Think of going into a courtroom and knowing that 80% or 90% of the people that answer a particular question this way most likely decide in your favor in the case. And the flip side too, you want to find out if anybody that answers this question this way, 85% of them aren't going to find in favor of the plaintiff in, in this case based mm-hmm. on these facts. And so it, it really does give you a tremendous advantage. What does it look like to a typical online juror that you use as far as whether they're watching a video of one of your lawyers reading it, or do they see documents that will be key exhibits? Do they just read the whole thing? How, how do you typically do it? I think the more visuals that you can put in the presentation, the better. You want to keep them engaged and occupied, and you want to make it interesting. If you have a case, a significant case, a good case, and you're boiling it down to 20, a 25 minute presentation, if you can't pe- keep someone engaged just for 25 minutes in your case, you probably you probably need to work on a different case. You should have some information in there that is compelling. It catches their interest. It keeps them interested throughout. And again, the same things that we talked about before in in-person focus groups apply to online. It has to be balanced. It has to be balanced. Now, we talked about the numbers, right? So in other words, it's statistically significant. That's a great advantage, right? And then we talked about being able to correlate specific questions, right? So in other words, you can actually correlate how people answer a certain question with your win or loss rate in your case. And and the other thing, the other really powerful tool with online is you can test a particular piece of evidence. I'll give you a great example. 
in automotive product liability cases, in most states, the cause of the accident doesn't come into evidence. It's just, it's just not relevant. So say you have a plaintiff who accidentally, they're not paying attention, they run a red light, get in an accident, they have a rollover, roof crush, whatever. Well, the judge may or may not allow the cause of the accident into evidence. I think in the majority of states, Missouri is one of them, that doesn't come into evidence. Well, if you're in a venue or in a court where it's going to come into evidence, right? How does that coming into evidence or not affect the case? You can run a focus group online with 100 jurors, look at the results, analyze them, and then you can turn around literally hours, within hours after that, run the same one, but put in there how the accident happened and whose fault it was. You can run a focus group and you can take the position that your client, the plaintiff, was not at all at fault, even though there may be an argument that, that he or she was, and you can see how that, that works for you. Percentage of success, the, the amount of damages. Then you can run it again, and the only thing you change is a sentence or two accepting some responsibility and see how that, that changes. The best thing is, as we said before, it allows you to test different damage levels. So what we'll do is we will run a focus group with our case prepared and ask for a specific amount of damages. You know, we'll ask for, say, $5 million. And then we'll run it again and ask for 15. And we'll see what, what changed. The only thing that changed was a number, the only single thing. And you might see the percentage, the win rate. It might go from 68 to 64, for instance. And it's interesting to see that. Now, let me go back to that question because I don't know if I asked it well enough. Is the jury, online juror, clicking on a video and watching an, an attorney or someone from your office present the case? Are they, is it a video or is it written material, like a paragraph describing yes, what the yes, evidence it's, is? It's, it's written material with videos, implanted videos, and maybe some diagrams or photos. So it's not a person. They're scrolling through it on their own, reading it, and listening to it. The other thing, too, Eric, that I have done this quite a few times, use of focus group results, online focus group results in settlement negotiations. And I'll tell you why I say that. Send it to the other side and say, look, we ran this three times. We ran it to 750 separate people, okay? And here's your case. You couldn't have stated any better. Here's verbatim what they saw. We're not changing it. And we win this 78% of the time. It's something that they can base their decision on and maybe even show it to higher ups who are making some of the money decisions. Look, here's why we're recommending what we're recommending. The creativity is endless. You can you can focus issues, narratives, and and everything that we've been talking about so far. So I uh, hope this has been helpful to all the all the folks listening in. And if they haven't done them before, I hope we give you some good ideas for various ways you can do it. You can do it on the cheap, you can do it more elaborately. But this is a this is a powerful tool. No matter what, you always learn something about your case. I mean, I, I won't try a case without focusing it. I just won't anymore. And it's most often more than once. And you always you're always learning and changing things and readjusting and, and learning. And that's really what it's all about. All right. So that wraps up our focus group sessions. I uh, hope you've enjoyed them. We'll be back with other episodes, of course. But this has been the focus group sessions on the the jury is out. My name's Eric Beef. This is John Simon. See you next time. John and Eric would like to hear from you. 
They invite you to email your comments and suggestions to comments at thejuryisout.law. To learn more about the dedicated trial lawyers of the Simon Law Firm, visit simonlawpc.com.